here. This is part eight of a blueprint for Christian conduct. Last week, as we were outside, just took a break from our series, but we're back in today, and I'm going to read to you a good portion of the text here, starting in verse 21 of chapter 5, uh, and then I'm going to read clear through verse uh, probably 8 of chapter 6. So, obviously, uh, the idea of the blueprint here continues in chapter 6, and uh, we're going to entertain some of that here today. But the key to understanding all of the end of chapter 5 here and the beginning of chapter 6 is contained in verse 21. It's the linchpin of this text. And if we don't get this today, we're going to have a hard time falling in line with uh, the other things the Lord has asked us to do. So let's thank God for the Word, and I'm going to jump in and read Ephesians 5 to you, and uh, we're going to jump in there and just enjoy it. Father, we thank you this morning that you love us and that we can come into your presence and worship you. We thank you, Lord God, that your word is alive. It's not just a, a history book or stories or fables, but it's your living, breathing word, Lord. And as we apply it to our lives, our lives change. And we thank you for that, Lord. So let our minds be alert this morning. Let our hearts be open and fill us with the good things of your word this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. and the church said, Amen. that was better. Two is better. All right. Sometimes it takes a couple to get it going, right? So here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. This is a great mystery, but I speak with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Verse 6, children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of your heart, as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And we'll stop there. All of what I just read to you is impossible for us to do effectively without verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 21 is the key 
to a, a correctly applying everything in the verses to follow. Husbands can't love their wives, and wives can't respect their husbands, and children can't submit to their parents unless they understand the importance of verse 21. Be subject one to another in the fear of Christ. And what this is suggesting to us, this text and all that Paul's writing here, is that God has an order or a chain of command in his kingdom. Someone say amen. amen. And if you're in the military, you understand the chain of command and how important it is. If you have people in the military, they have to take orders from those above them in the chain. If those below refuse to obey orders, the system breaks down and the fighting force is ineffective. You can't have privates saying to sergeants and sergeants saying to general, no, I'm not doing that. We understand that from a military perspective, but from a spiritual perspective, there is a breakdown in God's chain of command, and everyone seeks to do his own thing. Realize that's a problem, and that's why verse 21 is so important. God has an order, he has a structure, he has a chain of command, and he expects that his children follow it. Say amen. amen. Every link in God's chain of command comes with specific responsibilities. Church leaders who operate in the five-fold ministry gifts have unique responsibilities. I have responsibilities to shepherd, to rightly divide the word, to preach the full counsel of God's word. Everyone in ministry has responsibilities, as do husbands and fathers and wives and mothers and children and workers. Did you hear that part about slaves obeying their masters? We're going to talk about that as we get deeper into the text, but do you have a boss? Do you feel like a slave sometimes? God says, obey them and be respectful toward them and do it as unto Christ. You're not serving a boss to get a paycheck. Everything you do is because you love Jesus and you're a witness and a testimony to him, amen? amen. Christians should be the best workers in the workplace. <laughs> well, that's some weak applause, praise God. So everybody has a job to do in the chain of command. And when we fall in line with God's divine order, three things begin to happen. Number one, our marriages become a living example of Christ and the church. Now, God instituted marriage for many reasons, but the primary reason was this, to have it be a visual display in society of the relationship between Christ and the church. It is a representation. That's why our marriages are so important. They are a testimony to the world. Now, when Christians are getting divorced at the same rate as the world is, it breaks the father's heart. Why? Because it shows a broken model of what Christ and the church is. Uh, listen to me. Our marriages become a living example when we fall into God's order. Houses that are in order, husbands submitting to Christ and, and then the wife and the children, everything is in line. The blessing of God flows down correctly and powerfully and it becomes a testimony to the world around us. When it's out of order and the blessing flows, it falls, it misses, it creates drama and problems, God's chain of command works. Our marriages should be an example of Christ and the church. Number two, the second thing that happens when we fall in line with God's order is this. Our homes become filled with the peace and the blessing of God. Amen? Our homes are an example to those around us of what it means to be a Christian family and what it means to live in God's order. When, when people come into our homes and their houses are out of order and there's conflict and strife and there's problems in the marriage and you have kids that won't submit and they, and they see the right order in our homes, it's an example to them, amen? But if they see the same disorder and the same discord and the same conflicts, 
It's not a testimony to the world. And people say, well, why would I ever want to be a Christian? We, we, we have a happier home than them. They're crazy over there, those crazy Christians. <laughs> the third thing that happens when we follow God's divine order is this. Our lives begin to display the goodness and favor of God. You see, when we're in order, what happens when we're in order? <laughs> we, we get under the spout where the glory pours out, amen? And we get blessed and we have favor and people see that on us. And when they see that on us, they want to know what's it from. And it's our opportunity to share Christ with them. So three powerful things happen when we fall in line with God's order. And it's, you know, uh, something that we should really look at and say, you know, this is something we should strive to, to do so that our marriages become an example, so that our houses are filled with the peace of God, so that our lives display his favor and his goodness. The world is watching. Remember, the whole series is about Christian conduct. They are looking at the church. They are looking at the Christian to determine what they think about Christ. Our conduct matters. Let's examine this concept of subjection. There's two concepts here we're going to look at today. The first of verse 21 says this, be subject to one another. Now the word subject translated from the Greek in the New American Standard Bible is the Greek word hupotasso. Hupotasso means to obey, to become obedient, and to submit. When you talk about subjection, you could replace that word with submission. In fact, in this point of our study, we're going to do that. I'm going to refer to subjection as submission because hupotasso suggests that that's exactly what it is. To obey, to become obedient, to submit. What are we obeying? Christ. Who are we becoming obedient to? Christ. Who are submitting to? Christ. And in doing so, we submit to the Father. Amen. Then the order is intact and the blessing of God can flow. Hupatasso means to submit. Now, every believer is required to submit somewhere in God's chain of command. Amen. All right, I'm going to say that again, and I want more amens. Every believer, that means you, all the people who didn't say amen, you are required to submit somewhere in God's chain of command. Amen. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. Well, pastor, I just do what I want. I don't submit to anybody. I'm footloose and fancy free. There's a, there's a name for that. It's called being lost and in rebellion, okay? We have to submit somewhere in the chain. And I want to talk about this here today. Uh, I talked about preachers and fivefold ministry gifts and husbands and fathers and wives and all that because the text that follows mentions each one of those categories. And we have to submit somewhere in the chain. Now, listen, Romans 13, 1 through 3 says this. Every person, say that includes me. Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. So godly authority, governing authorities, governments that honor the word and the principles of God, we should submit to those things, amen? amen. We shouldn't blindly submit to governments. There were preachers in Nazi Germany that didn't stand up against the, the government and say that this is wrong and the pulpits were silent and Hitler incinerated six million Jews and people stood behind their pulpits and didn't say a thing because they were scared. When the government is, is enforcing things that are unbiblical and ungodly, we have, an, uh, we have to say that we're going to obey God rather than man. Remember what the disciples said. Is it right for us to obey man or to obey God? So when the laws are righteous and they, they support the, the biblical principles of God's word, the government and the, the church structure is all from God and the order that follows there is important. We have to submit to it. You can't drive down to the conic 100 miles an hour and when you get pulled over, go, I'm a child of God, I don't have to submit. 
I submit to a higher authority. The big G is my co-pilot. No, you can't do that. God in heaven will be going, uh-uh, you're on your own, buddy. Good luck with your insurance. So understand, there is order, there is structure. We're required to submit. 1 Corinthians 11:3 says this, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of woman and God is the head of Christ. So God giving a little bit of his structure and, and his order there, going back to creation. First the man was created, then the woman was taken from the man. Uh, children come through the woman. It's so beautiful when you see God's order, how it works. And if we'll just honor God's word and submit to his authority, it's amazing how the blessing of God flows in the family because that's the way God designed it. So listen, men must submit to Christ. Women must submit to their own husbands. Children must submit to their parents, slaves to their masters. Even Jesus, when he walked the earth, submitted to the Father. Jesus didn't show up and say, oh, you know, I'm here. You know, let's see, what do I want to do today? No, he said, I only do what I see my Father doing. If Jesus could model submission in such a perfect way, how much more should we submit to the authority? If Jesus, being fully God, walking on the earth, could submit to his heavenly Father to the point where I'm not doing or saying anything unless my Father tells me, wow, what a beautiful example of submission as the Son submitted to the Father while he had the flesh on in the earth. Now, understand, men must submit to Christ, women to the husband, children. It's an order, and it's a structure, and we shouldn't buck it, and we, and we might not like it at times, but understand something. It's the only structure and order where the blessing of God flows. So what's the problem here? The chain is clear. The Bible's clear about it. Let's just fall in line with the chain and go for it, amen? Well, as we know, there are some problems. Don't look at your spouse right now. Just look straight forward. Don't point at your husband right now. You know, people are like... There's some major problems why we just don't fall in line with the chain and go with it. There's two that I want to talk about this morning. The text reveals them. Our number one problem is this. Our flesh hates submission. Now, when I talk about the flesh, the Bible talks about the flesh. What it means is that sinful nature that we inherited through, through birth. Adam and Eve sinned, and sin was passed down to everyone who was born of a woman. If you were born of a woman today, you have a sinful nature. If you weren't, I want to have a discussion with you after service. But we inherited that sinful nature. You, you never, as a baby, as a child, no one ever had to teach you how to sin. We just knew how to do it. I mean, babies are the most selfish little things. They don't care if mommy's tired. They'll scream at 3 o'clock in the morning because they want to eat. And children, you don't have to. They'll steal cookies. They'll steal things. You know, they'll hit somebody over the head with a toy, and they know it's wrong, but they just, you know, you never had to send your kid to sin school. My kid is so good, I got to send him to sin school. They don't know how to sin. No, we know how to do it. Some of us have black belts in it, Right? So we got this sin nature, and that's when I say the flesh that we're talking about. Man, I'm a sinner. I, I'm selfish. I want my own way. And, and you're saying, Pastor, we know this about you, and we're praying for you. <laughs> but we've all got that flesh, and it hates submission. Our flesh demands autonomy. I want to be in charge. I want to do what I want. I, I don't want to submit to anyone. I don't even want accountability. Our flesh is at war with the righteousness of God, and we can't please God in the flesh or submit to him. Listen to what Romans 8, 6 through 8 says. Paul says this in Romans 8. It's so powerful. He says, 
for the mind set on the flesh, what, that's the fallen nature we've all got. So if I, my mind is set on sin and, and doing what my sinful flesh wants to do, look what he says. For the mind set on the flesh is death. Why? Because the wages of sin are death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Could that be any clearer? If I want my way, if I want to do what my sinful flesh wants to do, my flesh will not submit to God. I, I can't please God. And, and Paul is just telling us it's a hopeless situation here if we give ourselves over to the desires of the flesh. Now, we need to see the flesh for what it really is. It's our mortal spiritual enemy. And the wise saint knows that their flesh is like a rabid wolf. It can't be tamed. It can't be pacified. It can't be bargained with. It must be put down. And we can never hope to please God unless we put our flesh down. Some of you older people, I want to tell you, the flesh is like old yeller. Remember old yeller? The young people are going. What do they have to do with old yeller? Put them down. That's the way your flesh is. I know it was sad. We all cried. We liked yeller. But the flesh has to be put down. The good news is this. You say, Pastor, uh, how, how do we do that? Well, the cross solves all the problems of the flesh. Amen. Amen. The cross of Jesus Christ. The cross solves all the problems of the flesh. And you say, how, how is that so? First of all, Jesus got on the cross and he broke the power of sin over all of us. Sin had dominion. Remember I said everyone born of a woman had a sinful nature. Sin had dominion and over every single person died in their sin until Jesus hung on the cross and broke the power of sin. He broke the power of the flesh, amen. Listen to Colossians 2, 12 through 15. Buried with him in baptism in which also we are raised through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, amen, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that were against us, which were contrary to us. Listen, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it, to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public display over them, triumphing over them in it. What is Paul saying there in Colossians? He's saying Jesus broke the power of sin. He made an open spectacle of the enemy. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and forevermore, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Thank you, Jesus. So there it is, Jesus' cross broke the power of sin. Before there was no hope, there was no ability to overcome the flesh. We had that nature, we lived with it, and we died with it. So the cross of Jesus Christ gives us hope to be freed from the, the, the sin that enslaved us all. Now there's also another vehicle here in the crosses uh, that Jesus made a cross for each of us so that we uh, could carry it to deal with the remnants of our old nature. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, deny himself. He has to deny himself. What is that? Dealing with that flesh. Take up his cross and follow me. So not only did Jesus break the power of sin on the cross, but he made a cross for each one of us to carry. How many look excited today? 
Well, I saw Jesus carry the cross and it didn't look fun. Well, praise God, he's got one just for me. He's got one just for you, amen? And I have to deny myself every day, pick up my cross and pastor this church, I mean, and follow him. So, you're slow, but you're worth waiting for. So, we got this cross. You say, why in the world? He, he dealt with sin. Why do I have to carry a cross? Because all of us have remnants of our sinful nature that are still in us that need to be dealt with. Just, just Pastor Mike has it. Man. Come on, if you're married, you know this. That person you're married to has issues. Right? Come on. That, who squeezed the toothpaste from the middle? Right? That's... We don't know if we should leave the seat up or down. We don't know. So people got issues, right? What is that? That's the leftover remnants of the flesh nature. If we're in the Christians, then we still got rough edges. Now, love covers a multitude of sins, so love one another, amen? amen? But the cross that we carry every day, listen, my cross is different than yours, but mine's gonna rub off my rough edges, and yours is gonna rub off your rough edges. So what's the answer to the flesh? The cross of Jesus Christ and the cross that he has for each of us to carry. Someone say amen. amen. So here we go. You know, the first problem is our flesh, and we've learned the, how to deal with it and what the issue is. Listen, if we can't put our flesh down, we'll never... We'll, we'll never submit ourselves. We'll never fall in line with God's chain of command. Remember what Paul said, the flesh cannot please God. It's at war with God. So we've got to deal with that flesh. That's why verse 21 is the linchpin to all the, fulfilling all these other verses. If we can't deal with our flesh, if we're in the flesh, we're going we're gonna to have a problem. The second problem with our flesh is this. Yes, we, we hate it and we don't want to submit to it, but we all have pride to deal with. Say pride. No matter how long you've been saved, no matter how spiritual you are, no, no matter how sweet a person is, everyone has pride. And the person who says, oh, I don't have any, you are the worst. <laughs> Everybody has pride. Pride is like garlic breath. You're the last one to know you have it. Okay? But we've all got pride. Now, some people will say, well, take some pride in yourself. And I understand that. Or put some pride into your work. There, there's, there's a little bit of truth in some of those statements. But uh, the long and the short of it is that pride uh, keeps us from doing what God has asked us to do and, and keeps us doing what we want to do. Amen? Pride enables the flesh. It's an enabler. In the end, if you think about the chain of command here, all of us are really submitting to God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? In the final analysis, look, you're not, my wife, you know, I, I, don't, I don't lord over her. She doesn't, you know, her salvation's not dependent on if she listens to me or cooks pork chops the way I like them for dinner, right? In the end, all of us are submitting to Jesus. Everybody's looking at Kim to see what her reaction is. She's a good cook. I think that's abundantly clear. But we have to take a look at this issue of pride because all of us have it. Now, understand, well, I, I just submit to God. I don't want to deal with any other people. I don't want to deal with anybody else. I just, you know, it's just me and God. Well, unfortunately, that's not how God made it to work. That's not God's order. <laughs> we can't ignore each other and just, you know, well, I'm submitted to God. Listen, uh, understand, the God-ordained structure of submission works within the framework of the body of Christ. We're going to have to, what does that mean? We're going to have to submit to other people along the chain, amen? 
We can't just say, well, I submit to God. No, there's other people in the chain. There's people above all of us. There's, there's the, the, the societal laws and there's the, the laws of God. We have to submit to someone in the chain. Why? Because we are a body of Christ. So that's the structure God made. The text says clearly, be subject to one another. It doesn't just say submit to God. It says be subject to one another. So the man who says, well, I'll submit to God, but I'm not listening to no pastor. Or the woman that says, I'll submit to God, but I'm not listening to no man. You know when they get that little neck crank thing going? <laughs> or the young person says, I'll submit to God, but I'm not listening to my dumb parents. Come on, how many of us were teenagers? <laughs> or the worker who says, I'll submit to God, but not to my incompetent boss. You see, everywhere the person rebels against God's structure, they rebel against the order of God. And listen, when we rebel against God's order, we can never please the Father. We become in direct conflict with Jesus, and we don't enjoy the fullness of God's blessing. It is so quiet. You think I was selling insurance up here. I'm trying to prove to you why the chain of command is so important. It's so we can be blessed. And it's, our flesh doesn't like it. It grates against it, but we've got to crucify it. And our pride doesn't like submitting to other people. Think about it. You know, the, think about the people you've had to listen to in the workplace. Come on, have you ever been in a job and you look at the manager and go, how did you get this job? Who do you have pictures of doing bad things? How did you get this job? And I got to listen to you? And those of us who learned to submit got promoted. Those, uh, listen, I've been around the block. Pastor Mike, you've been around the block. You know, you learned to submit up the chain to people with wrong motives, wrong hearts, people who have no, you know, respect for you. When I was young and I worked in construction, I had bosses throw hammers at me. They missed I, most of the time. I got a couple of them. <laughs> but listen, you, you learn, you take your lumps. You submit, and you get promoted by God. The person who says, you know, I'm not submitting, I'm not submitting, I'll just submit. No, you're rebelling against God's order, and you'll never have the fullness of God's blessing. Our pride must give way to humility. We shouldn't think of ourselves so, like we're so important that we should never go through hardship, or we should never get dressed down, or we should never get, don't you dare talk to me that way. Well, you know what, you're, you need to be talked to that way. We live in a generation that doesn't ever want to be held accountable for their bad behavior. There's times when my dad had to dress me down and talk to me and put me in my place. My mom put me in my place. Why? Because I was out of order. You say, when you were a teenager? No, last week. No, I'm... <laughs> but there are people out there that won't take correction from anyone. The Bible says you're being foolish. So God's order, I hear sighs and weeping and gnashing of teeth. God's order is important. It, it is so important that we, we deal with our pride. Now, our pride has to give way to humility. I, I need to not think, you know, I'm not above being corrected. I'm not above being challenged. I, I'm not above, I make mistakes. You make mistakes. Well, don't you talk to me like that. Husbands and wives that can't say things to each other like, you know, one of the, one of the parties, I won't say who gained 100 pounds, but you can't say, honey, maybe you know. No, you can't. You can't say that. Now everybody's scared. <laughs> we can't even be honest with the one that we're one flesh with. 
we have to tap dance around things. Some of you, I want to take some of you out back and get Italian on you and then pray for you when I'm done. Because you're, you're missing it. You're, mi- you're too proud. Don't you talk to me like that. Wow. Help us, God. Deal with my pride, God. Oh, woe unto the person who is above anyone's correction, including God's. Woe unto us when we, we can't receive constructive criticism. What we demand that others, we give accountability to no one. Help us, God. That's pride, and it's keeping us from the blessing of God, and it's in our best interest to let it give way to humility. You know, there's a B-side to this verse here. It says, be subject to one another. It's talking about submission. We talked about the chain of command and the two reasons why, you know, our flesh and our pride need to be dealt with so we can't submit. But there's a B-side to verse 21, and it says this, be subject to one another, what? In the fear of Christ. Say fear. fear. This part of the verse is talking about the fear of the Lord and the Lord Jesus we need to honor him and we need to fear him and keep his commandments and we need to fear God and we're going to talk about that a little bit today because there's many misconceptions about what the fear of God is we have to crucify our flesh abandon our pride but why would we ever crucify our flesh and abandon our pride and willingly submit to anyone why would we do that here's the answer Because we fear the one who's commanded us to do so. I submit to others. I love my wife. I serve my family. Why? Because I'm scared of them? Ooh, if I don't do this, Kim's going to, you know, hit me with the rolling pin again. No, I do all of that not because I'm in fear of my family. My kids are going to tell everyone in town I'm a bad dad. No, I do it because I fear the Lord. I honor the one who has commanded me to do that. And that's the fear of the Lord. That's why I submit. That's why I crucify my flesh. That's why I exchange my pride for humility because I fear the Lord. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the fear of the Lord. Uh, Proverbs is the book where that phrase, the fear of the Lord, is mentioned the most. I'm going to cover a handful of those with you today, but Isaiah is the next book, and probably depending on the translation you have, up to a hundred times the phrase, the fear of the Lord, occurs in Scripture. How many of you would agree that's probably an important thing? Proverbs says this about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 2.5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. One more, Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. And I can go on and on about the benefits of the fear of the Lord. The Bible has a lot to say about it. We should take it seriously. Now, you might think, all right, Pastor, we don't need to hear you quote every one of those from the Scripture. We'll be here until Tuesday. But this we know. At this point, we've got to say, all right, I know I need to fear the Lord. But what does that mean? And as I bring this sermon down for landing here, I want to tell you what it means to fear the Lord by starting by telling you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we should be terrorized by the presence of God. Amen? 
And so we shouldn't, you know, somehow dread the presence of God. Oh, no, God's going to show up. I'm scared. I'm sinful. I want to hide. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned in the garden? God showed up and they hid themselves. They covered themselves with leaves. Amen. They were scared. They were terrorized. What did the children of Israel do when God showed up? On Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. Exodus 19, God told you know, Moses, assemble all the people, or, and the people were assembled, and God was on the mountain, and there was thunder, and there was lightning, and the ground was shaking, and the people were like, ah! Now, God was trying to get their attention that he was a holy God, a powerful God, because they were a pretty stubborn people, amen? But they were terrorized by the presence of God. Why? Probably because of their own lack of integrity and sin. So what did they do? They sent Moses. Moses, you go, 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 Moses, go. Go, Moses. <laughs> Moses is like, up the mountain. He, he's got to stand in the gap for the people. But the people, they didn't want to get close to God. They were afraid. Now listen to me. The Old Testament, uh, God was in the law covenant and there was less grace. Now, God was not, you know, some, somehow God was, you know, a grumpy old codger in the Old Testament and then he took an anger management class and now in the New Testament he's, you know, more. No, it's all about what Jesus did on the cross. He's the same holy God, amen? The only thing <laughs> that keeps him from rumbling and grumbling and lightning and all that stuff is the blood of the Lamb. And so we should be very thankful for it. But the people in the Old Testament were horrified of the presence of God. You, I've heard bad leaders say things like this. I'd rather be feared than loved. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. I'd rather be feared than loved. You know, and I, I, could, I could give you some quotes and military men and generals throughout history, but that idea of, you know, well, you know, if you fear me, I can manipulate you to do what I want you to do without the pleasantries of having to have a relationship with you. That was a mouthful right there. I hope you got that on tape. But the truth is our God is not that way. Our God wants us to love him and have a loving relationship with him. He's designed us for intimacy. God is not a bully. God is not a tyrant. God doesn't need to manipulate us to get us to do what he wants us to do so he can be God. God can do whatever he wants to do with or without us. He spoke the universe into creation. He spoke. He said, let there be light. He put the sun and the stars. Come on, you know Genesis. Hello? He needs me? Oh, if Rick won't listen to me, huh, the kingdom's going to fall apart. God wants to have relationship with us. We shouldn't be terrorized by his presence. Like the people who were out of sync with him in the Old Testament, they were terrorized and they didn't want to go near him. But God wants to have a loving relationship with us. You know, as a, as a godly parent, the last thing you ever want is for your children to be fearful or terrified of you. That your children couldn't come to you or, you know, they, they, they're scared. You know, mom's going to blow up. Dad's going to yell and scream. And the last thing is a godly parent. You, you don't want your children to be terrified of you. Why? Because that makes having a relationship with them awkward at best and impossible at worst. You know, I love dogs and I've seen dogs that were abused. And you get near a dog that's been abused and you can see in their eyes that they want to be loved by you, but they don't fully trust you. You know, I've, I used to work at a kennel when I was young, and I was taught there always to, you know, bring your hand underneath the dog and, and come underneath. Don't ever come from the top. I've seen, you know, dogs cower because they've been hit before. 
As a parent, you would never want your children to cower from you. And our Heavenly Father never wants us to come into his presence like a beat dog. No, he wants us to come into his presence with joy and with laughter and delight and excitement, amen, like a little child. You know, I think about when my sons were young and we used to just play in the grass and giggle and laugh and so much fun now. It's like, how you doing? And they, one word, uh, good. <laughs> how you doing today? Grunt. Uh. You know what Jesus said, unless you come as a young child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What did he mean by that? Young child just has a pure heart. They're, there's no pretentiousness. They're not like, well, I, I want dad to be nice to me today so he keeps me in the will. You know, that guy's got a lot of money. No, children just want to have relationship with you. There's no strings attached. He said, unless you come as a little child, what, a little child is pure and they trust and they, they just delight in, their, in, in Father's presence. You know, they, they'll put their hand in Dad's hand and just trust. I've said this before when I was little and I lived in the Bronx. My dad, we would cross the street, man. I'm telling you, some of those streets where we lived, man, I can still remember. I was only this big with cars and ambulances and people and some guy walking through traffic like this. And, you know, I mean the Bronx I'm talking about. I put my hand in my dad's hand mat and I would never think twice. I'd just follow his lead. I never said, hey, dad, did you look both ways? <laughs> did you notice this bus careening through the intersection? No, just put my hand in his hand and trust. Amen? And that's the way our Heavenly Father wants us to be, like a little child, to delight in His presence. We shouldn't be afraid of Him or terrorized by Him or dread Him, but I want to tell you what we should be. The second part of this as I close down is this. It does mean we should approach God with a sense of reverence and awe. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. I want you to get that today. You serve an awesome, powerful, mighty God. Yeah, he's loving. Yeah, he's gentle. He's kind. He's gracious. But he can also snuff people out in an instant. In fact, the only reason any of us are here today is because God's been gracious to us. <laughs> I don't know about you. Some of us even just survive in our 20s, man. I mean, or youth, right? A lot of near misses. What is that grace? We should approach God with a sense of reverence and awe, and that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's not terror. It's not, you know, cowering. No, it's, it's reverence and it's awe. It's a godly fear. And, you know, wh why, why do we have a fear like that? Because we're an open book before him. We can't hide before him. You know, he sees everything that we think and do, what we don't do. He knows the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. He knows our motives. And we should be in awe of that. You can fool some of the people some of the time. You can even fool mom once in a while. But you can never fool God. And we should be in awe of a God like that who did so much for, for sinners like us. And we should reverence him uh, and respect him and, and honor him. Why? Because he's an all-powerful God. I want to tell you a story about a, a king in Hungary. He found himself very troubled and depressed uh, because he, he realized his soul wasn't right with God. He sent for his brother, who was good-natured, to cheer him up, but his brother was indifferent and laughed everything off. So the king said to his brother, I am a great sinner, and I fear to meet God. But the prince just laughed it off, and he didn't help his brother's disposition any. Uh, though he was a believer, the king had gotten a glimpse of the guilt 
of the way he was living, and he wanted his brother to help him find peace. Now, in those days, the king could send an executioner to any man's door at any hour. They would sound a trumpet, the person would be led away and executed. So the king sent an executioner in the dead of night to sound the trumpet blast at his brother's door. The prince, realizing in horror what was happen, happening, dressed quickly. He stepped outside and was seized by the executioners and drugged before his brother, the king. In terror, he fell to his knees and he asked his brother, what have I done to offend you? My brother, said the king, is the sight of a human executioner so terrible to you? Shall I not, having grievously offended God, fear to be brought before the judgment seat of Christ? You see, many of us fear the judgment of our bodies. We feel judgment in the flesh, but we don't fear the judgment seat of Christ. We don't fear the fact that we're going to have to answer to God for how we treat our children, how we treat our spouses. Did we love? Did we submit? Did we serve with the right? All of those things. Now, it's not about being lost or found. It's about the rewards that come at the judgment seat of Christ. Salvation is a free gift. We don't earn it by our works. Everybody say, Otherwise, a lot of us would be in trouble. But we're going to stand before him someday, and he knows us like an open book. We can hide from people, but we can't hide from him. So with a a grateful heart and a sense of awe, I want to live my life in a way that pleases him. We fear him out of love because we're so thankful for what he's done for us, amen? Understand, the fear of the Lord is what we need to submit ourselves to the structure and order of God. The fear of the Lord is what we need. I, I, I lay down my life. I, I, I crucify my flesh. I deal with my pride. Why? Not because I'm in fear of man, but because I, I, I love God and I fear him and I want to please him. If you love somebody, you want to please him. The answer is for us to love God more than we love ourselves. The answer for us is to submit to God's order and structure, to deal with our flesh and to fear the Lord so that everything in our life can flow down as the blessing of God. As I cover these next verses, God willing, in the weeks to come, remember what we learned today. It's the chain of command. It has a requirement to deal with our flesh. It has a requirement for us to fear the Lord. And if we don't do that, none of these categories will fall in line and we'll have disorder in our homes, in our lives, and in our families. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I just thank you this morning for this opportunity to be in your word. I thank you uh, for these people here who have opened their hearts and heard your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stretch us and teach all of us to apply your word to our lives, that we wouldn't just be hearers, but that we'd be doers of the word as the word instructs us to be doers. So help us to consider all of these things, to deal with our flesh, to learn to submit, to deal with our pride, Lord God, and to have a healthy fear of the Lord so that the blessings of God will rain down upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise this morning.